everybody, Dimity here uh, in the Train Like a Mother Club. So happy to be joined by uh, Coach Jennifer Harrison over here in the beautiful pink tank top because she just got back from Florida last night. And you had a good, you had a good trip? <laughs> we had a good trip. I went with my sister uh-huh. um, to visit my mom and dad who winter down there now. And okay. yes, and I, I, my history is I was born in a trailer mm-hmm. and I went my life has come full circle because my parents RV through Florida all winter in an RV. So oh. I was in an RV for three days. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. Where, <laughs> where did you guys travel or is it RV parked somewhere? It was parked. Yep. Yeah. And what part of Florida? Near the beach, I hope? Yes. In the Keys. It's all. In the Keys. It's oh, all yep. nice. How Very is nice. that doing down there? Did they get, I should know this, but did, was there hurricane damage from all that stuff this fall down there? Oh my God. It's horrible. It's at people, anybody that we have listening from Florida. It's absolutely horrible. It's, it's, it's frankly, oh, it's, it's devastating and um, not devastating for people like my parents who winter there, who cares? They just had to yeah. change locations, but the people that live down there, sure. it's, it's a bloodbath. It's horrible. Yeah. It's really yeah. sad. Ugh. all right. Yeah. Well, let's move on to more, more, um, Cheering news. Cheering news. Yes, exactly. With um, triathlon questions, you guys, this is our first triathlon webinar of 2018. We've got some great questions lined up. Um, I just want to um, just rewind for one second and say in your newsletters, um, last last summer for our first or last um, season for our first round in the Train Like a Mother Club, we spent one webinar on swimming, one on biking and one on running. And those are all linked up in your newsletter. And I just want to make sure that you know that. And those now, so if you get like random questions or whatever and you say, you know, that wasn't me. That's that's where that's coming from. And there's just a lot of good base knowledge. And of course, we'll happily answer all of your questions and any questions. It's a repeat that you have a little tweak on it. We're happy to take on again because we know it feels really important. We want your training to feel um, as individualized and um, as perfect as we can get it for you. So um, so let's launch into a couple things. Um, the last thing before I start, actually, before I launch is um, on your little dashboard, if this is the first time you're joining us, there's a place where you can either raise your hand if you want to talk to Coach Jen, or if you want to type a question, you can also do that. And I'll keep my eye on that um, throughout the um, webinar. So if you you know, want to, you have a comment, if something comes up, if, a, if another question prompts a question from you, just have at it and we will um, interact as much as possible. So um Okay, so let's start, um, first of all, with some training questions. Um, Kimberly's asking, um, do the strength circuits need to be completed as written, or can you break them into smaller groups to fit them in? For example, like three exercises in the morning and then do four at night or something like that. Of course, absolutely. We're just giving you that information so you guys have it and you can do whatever you want to with it. You can break it up into five days, you can break it up into morning and evening, anything goes. Yep. Yeah, real. the key with strength, Jen, of course, is just making sure that you get that prescribed amount done during the week, right? Correct. Yeah, just make sure you guys are getting it in. Don't skip it. Um, it's easy for us to skip. It's usually the first thing. But as far as balance, mobility, functionality, recovery, and just pure strength, honestly, there's nothing probably more important unless you're a 25-year-old male, which we don't have. So um, <laughs> All the moms and women in here need need to do it. So, yep, absolutely make sure you guys are doing it. And and you can substitute that out. You can do a Pilates class. You can do um, a TRX class. Um, I'm not a, not a huge fan of some of the more aggressive CrossFit boot camps, only from a form intensity factor. 
Yeah. Um, but if you have a good coach that's looking at you every second of those classes, that's different. But prefer that, you know, you do a little bit more foam fo form focused work. Absolutely. And body weight is always, in my mind, it pretty much always trumps using weights because I just feel like, especially us women who are might be in their, you know, late 30s, early 40s, it gets harder and harder to move your own body. And so the more you just kind of do that, push-ups, squats, lunges, I mean, and a lot of that yep. stuff is on the circuits, like that kind of thing is going to be great. Um, the other thing that I want to emphasize as somebody who is often injured is all your PT, like if that takes half an hour, that is more important than, um, you know, doing the lunges. We, we got to keep you healthy. So, um, so, you know, kind of priority is PT and then strength, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So here's some bike stuff. Um, so uh, when Kimberly takes her bike off the trainer to ride outside, do you, does she need to put the original skewer back in the car or can she ride on the trainer skewer? No, she, you, need to, you need to put the regular trainer back in the skewer. Okay. Um, in a perfect world. Now it's okay if you have the trainer skewer, but it's not really from a safety perspective, the smartest thing to do. That okay. skewer is, is not made to handle the pounding of the up and downs of the outside. It's made to secure yourself into that static trainer. So okay. in a perfect world, change that train, change that skewer. Okay. Um, okay. And then, um, uh, uh, Becky uh, is asking most of my rides will be on a trainer. Is that okay for a sprint distance? Absolutely. Um, okay. I live in Chicago. I do 90% of my rides indoors, especially at this time of the year. So absolutely. My only, only recommendation to you is to make sure that, Becky, that you get outside and practice stuff like mounting and dismounting your bike, getting, which means getting on and off your bike, getting your shoes if you have clipless pedals, getting in and out of your shoes. If you're wearing just running shoes or gym shoes, fine. Uh, taking your bottle that you're drinking with in and out of your bottle cage, shifting. You know, we don't shift as much inside if you're on a static trainer, unless you're riding a smart trainer. Um, so make sure you practice shifting. So just some of the safety issues, make sure you make an effort to do that up, you know, a few times that you're comfortable into your sprint. But otherwise, the workouts can be done on the trainer. The trainer is a phenomenal tool. It's great. I agree. And I mean, it's, it's nice because it has, there, there's no cars, right. And there's no stopping, right. That's the thing right. about, sometimes I feel like about riding outside. I'm like, Oh, okay. I've been riding for 80 minutes. Well, how many of those, you know, have I been going downhill? And I know you're, you're, I remember from last year that your idea is that you're constantly pedaling just to keep your legs moving. Um, so you're not, you know, coasting much. Um, but <laughs> sometimes I don't take that yes. to heart. <laughs> And um, and so sometimes I just feel like the if you want like a really solid workout, the trainer is just a nice way to to get that in. Absolutely, I'm a huge, huge fan. Yeah, but I do I do want to echo. I mean, I know we've got some beginner triathletes in here, and I really really love that we do. But those bike skills are so important, and we really want you to feel confident on the bike. And um, you know, it's one thing to feel confident on your trainer. And then you, the next thing is you go outside and ride. But then sometimes, you know, you get into the race situation and you have bikes all around you and it can be a little bit startling, even for, you know, somebody like myself who has, you know, ridden in a couple of triathlons and I'm used to people kind of around me, but. Well, yeah, still, and braking and, and it's just like driving a car. Think about yeah. it like driving a car. So, yeah. when you, you know, if you, if you're, if you drive, you know, if you're not used to driving a car outside and you did in your basement, for six months and you went outside and you had all these people all over you, you'd be like, Oh my gosh, same thing with yeah. riding a bike. So yeah. So the workouts can be done, but make sure your safety and your, uh, what we call bike handling skills are done outside. 
Perfect. Perfect. Um, okay. And then she's wondering also, Becky's also wondering, um, uh, what do you use to measure mileage on a trainer or does it matter? It, mileage doesn't really, does it come up on a trainer? Well, it does not on a, on a normal trainer. Yeah. Um, when I say, I, so sometimes I use the word smart trainer and let me just take a second to explain what the smart trainer is. Great. Um, a lot of us have smart trainers. It is not necessary, but I just want you guys to be educated when people talk about smart trainers now. Smart trainers are, are trainers that um, basically are computer generated, meaning we have our, our own bikes on a trainer system like a, a kicker, a compu trainer. Um, Bazook is another one. They have all these different kind of ones. It, even even a Cyclops sometimes can be that. Is Zwift, is that a, is that a smart trainer, Jen? Well, that's a software for a smart trainer. So you need that's to have soft. a soft, you have to have okay. a trainer. You have to have okay. a physical trainer. Then the trainer is hooked up via computer, and you can do it on an app, via okay. a computer app into Zwift. And Zwift okay. is, is the rage now that most of us have that is basically a group program um i write workouts like for for example for my my other athletes that will include group workouts races time trials intervals hills on the zwift program and it's like riding in a course and riding and following people it's it's absolutely it's absolutely awesome but it's not necessary so i just want everyone to understand that's when people talk about straight smart trainers and zwifts that's what they're talking about is a computer software program and just so you know those programs can run anywhere from 750 bucks to 1500 bucks they're very expensive um, but just from an educational standpoint that's a smart trainer a normal trainer absolutely does the job um, i think if you're training all on a trainer for an ironman you might want to switch over and if you do want to if you are listening and you're training for an ironman then you can just email uh dimity or myself and i'll explain that to you further but if you're doing a sprint olympic and you can do it on a normal trainer, which is what we call just a fluid trainer or a magnetic trainer. And that's like a Blackwell, a Cyclops. And that is where you control the tension yourself and you control by shifting and all of that. And that is, you know, that's absolutely fine. That's, that's a, something that everybody could have. And miles are not shown on that because your front wheel is usually where we have the sensor for mileage. And the front wheel is locked into a static position, and it's your rear. I can't say that your rear, rear wheel. Okay. I know that's well, tough. Rear wheel. Tough. And fun fact about me: I went to speech therapy my whole childhood for my R's. Oh, geez. Okay. So, so rear wheel, your back wheel, back wheel. Yeah. So whenever I have to say my R's fast, I can't. So <laughs> rear wheel um, is locked into the back. So because that's locked in you don't usually, you don't have to worry about distance on the trainer. What is really important on the trainer besides the workout and if you're doing it based on heart rate is heart rate and um, um, and speed is not even really that important because it's all relative based on how much your tension is, how much air you have in your tires. But what's important is your cadence. So in a perfect world, if you could get an odometer, which is just a, a wireless in a perfect world, wireless odometer that sits on your bike, that would give you, that gives you cadence, obviously speed, because you can use that outside, and distance covered outside, and then time elapsed, just like you would on a, a bike, you know, excuse me, a um, car odometer. Um, those only run, I'll just like ballpark at 30 bucks, 
And that is something that you guys could have outside that would be really beneficial to you. And it works inside, except sometimes the speed and the distance doesn't. But RPMs are key. Absolutely. And if you need, um, and, and so this is all, it's, it's sometimes hard to do this um, just via video and, uh, and um, chatting. And so if you guys want recommendations, just tag one of us on the Facebook page afterwards, and we yep. can definitely like look up a couple different odometers, different trainers, different smart, um, smart trainers, like, uh, like Jen was talking about. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's great. And so yes, your speed isn't going to be your big thing, your efforts going to be your big thing. And then the time on the bike, right? I mean, and so most of the workouts are written for the bike, they're written by time, they're not written by mileage. I mean, they, I think they all are. So um, they all are on purpose. Yeah. yeah. So, so really, it's time and effort that are the two things that you're going to look at there. Um, Barbara's asking, uh, can you talk a little bit about bicycle gears? She's a total newbie, and she wouldn't mind a gears 101 lesson. And just um, said maybe a PDF on the website, and maybe that is something that that we can create. But, but can you talk a little bit if you've got somebody first time or or first time back on a bike for a while? How do you um, explain the gears, Jen? Yeah. So. Uh gearing this is this is complicated and probably a little bit too complicated for um the webinar but okay. because i would need a bike and i can do that we can do a bike 101 dimity where i go through the gears but in great. general in general we've got let's see if we get my hands right we've got what we call cogs and cogs are the circular gears on the bike right and on each we've got usually two or three in the front bigger ones and in the back we have five or six you know there's like a stack I got to get my directions right. We, we have like a stack of them like this thick. And each one of those cogs, which are circles, has teeth on them. And if you count these little teeth that look like, you know, incisors, little tiny teeth on them, if you have 30 teeth on them, then that gear is a 30. So you'll hear people say, and this is a little bit advanced, but you'll hear people say, all right, ride in your 5212. Well, what that means is that 52 cog in the front with 52 teeth and then 12 teeth in the back. So that's a little bit advanced, but my point of that is to share with you, if you ride a nine speed, an eight speed, a 10 speed, an 11 speed, whatever it is, you've got lots of gears. And the small ring in the front, let's say you have two rings in the front, the smaller the ring, the easier it is to ride. And for most of the workouts that you guys are doing, um, you want to be in the small ring in the front because what's what trumps anything is your uh, cadence and your heart rate. So if you're grinding and grinding and grinding, that's not what we're trying to accomplish. And you hurt your knees, you hurt your hips. It just doesn't. It's just not productive. So the small ring in the front is very efficient, and especially some of these workouts where Elizabeth and I write, and they're 100 RPMs. Well, you can't do 100 RPMs in the big ring and too low of a gear because you'll just kind of rip yourself apart. So you want to be in the small ring up front. And then in the back, the bigger the ring in the back, the easier it is to shift. So you, what you need to do as a new bike person is you need to just go through them and shift and put your bike on the trainer. And for one of the easier rides, one of your 30, 45 minute easier rides in the plan, just start shifting. And how does that impact your pedal stroke? How does that impact your cadence? How does it impact your heart rate or your effort, whatever you're gauging? And you should be able to have a fluid circular pedal stroke without the up, square, down. You know, you don't want to be like clunk, 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 clunk. You want to be nice and smooth through that entire 
360 pedal stroke. And in order to do that, you need to use all your gear. So one of the things I say to athletes all the time, I couldn't get my heart rate high. I couldn't get my gear, you know, my RPMs right. I'm like, did you use all, all your gears? Because there's so many gears on a bike. You trust me, if you can get what you need, you need to accomplish by shifting more. So the answer is always shifting more. Shifting more, exactly. And um, just just to back up, just the RPM, I mean, I, I think people probably have a, a basic idea of it, but let's just talk through it. So RPM is revolutions per minute. And it's how much one leg turns around, the, how many circles one leg makes in a minute, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, and if so you don't, and if you don't have an odometer that reads RPMs, which some of you probably don't, then the easiest way to do that is just to count how many revolutions your one leg makes in 15 seconds and multiply it by four. Yep, so if you yep. if your if your leg goes around 10, you know, 15 times in 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 15 seconds, then 15 times four gives you what you're looking for. And we're our workouts will will tell you what we're looking for, but in general, you want to definitely be in the 80s and probably the low 90s. If you're above 100, you're spinning way too fast. If you're under 80, you're mashing your well yourself through it. And remember, we're trying to run after these bike, these bikes. So, yeah, so that, that's the ideal anyway, to be able to run. I mean, I think on the hills, obviously, if you're climbing a tough hill, your your cadence is going to come down. But I mean, we're talking about flat, um, you know, nice open road. You want somewhere between 80 and, like you said, low 90s. I think that that's a really nice range because that that is um, that. I mean, it should just feel. I mean, when I think about it, I just think about like um, turning over quickly and really just trying to think about being really smooth. Like smooth is a word that I often tell myself when I'm riding my bike, like keep your legs smooth. And so that means that to, to have that smoothness, it requires some resistance, right? Because if there's nothing, then I'm all choppy, right? Absolutely. And if it's too hard, then I'm really pushing, like you said, kind of grunting and using, you know, kind of shifting my body too much. So if you can kind of get to that place between you know, 80 and 90 revolutions per minute and just think, okay, this is a nice effort. I'm feeling really smooth. That's probably a good place to spend a lot of your workouts. Correct. Awesome. And so, um, Barbara, we can definitely um, go through more. Like you said, I think it would be great to have actually a, um, you know, maybe let me look and see what kind of resources I can find on the web because sometimes it's ha, better not to reinvent the wheel. Um, but let me see what I can find and then we'll, I'll, I'll see what I can find. Um, so Barbara's also has done some heart rate training plans. So she wanted to just know how to um, like kind of uh, uh, transfer the RPE to heart rate. So she's thinking about one, like a, a five is about a 140, which is kind of easy, but like from like one to 10, how do you, how do you kind of talk about? Sure. Um, so perceived exertion and heart rate. So in general, we do five heart rate zones in, in my mind. I mean, this is different than all your heart rate programs, so I won't sure. talk about that. But as far as received exertion and heart rate, zone one is is usually, you know, basically under 50%. So easy. Recovery, you should be able to sing, you should be able to talk in under 50%. And then when we get into zone two, we're thinking 60 to 75% which is where your aerobic base and your aerobic capacity is. And much of the work that you do to get fit is done in this zone. Um, and then as far as zone three goes, it is tempo. So um, what we would consider about 85% effort, an eight on a scale from one to 10. Nine is 90% effort, basically, and 100 is 100% effort. Um, and so don't mix up when it says 100%. Don't think to yourself, huh, I wonder what 100% means. 
if you're thinking what hard means, then you're not going hard enough. So hard, hard, hard. <laughs> if you can, if you can process that, then yeah, you're not going hard enough. Exactly. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think, and so knowing, having done our rate plans, I mean, um, Barbara, I think, you know, zones one and two are kind of sub 140, right? And and you're going to have a different heart rate on your bike than you are running. I mean, the, the um, and, and Jen, you can, can um, chime in here if you want, but my general experience has been, and, and the, the, the stuff that I have seen has been, is that your heart rate is about 10 um, beats lower on the bike than it would be on the run, simply because you're, um, not pushing it, you know, you're not supporting your own weight, right? So if I'm running at 140, my bike should be maybe at 130. Um, that's, I don't know, have you ever heard that before? <laughs> or am I just, I mean, um, that's a little aggressive, but you know, I don't want to aggressive. Okay, it's aggressive. Usually we see five to seven beats higher on the run than the bike. Okay. But, okay. but that, you know, I think it's different for everybody. And I think, yeah. I think one of the challenges for beginners is absolutely working hard enough in order to get to that true what we call sub max because a real max is done in the hospital so a real a real sub max or lactic threshold and so sure. that is always static excuse me is always not static because beginners have to learn how to push 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 and then once you get your max it never really changes it just drops as you get older sure. so i yeah, I know. It, yeah. I'm sure you have all these different heart rate things and how we do it differently. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely there's no easy to answer. But I just just know that if your heart rate, you know, I mean, the best thing to do is tune into how you feel, right? Like you just said, like your perceived yep. exertion, you know. And if your heart rate on the bike, it's harder to get up. That is the reason why is because you're not moving all your body weight just with yes. your own muscles, right? So that's just a little FYI again for for people who haven't spent some, a lot of time on the bike. And we um, give okay. bike tests. I think Dimity. One of the things that's important is. If this athlete is coming from the run heart rate program, that's awesome. She already has her run heart rate zones. But then when you start the triathlon training, we have a bike test in there and we do the zones. You can figure out your heart rate zones in there. Then you will have your bike. So you should have bike heart rate zones and run heart rate zones. When you do the triathlon training, we do not use heart rate in the pool. Um, so yeah. so, so uh, to that athlete's point, make sure that you go through and you have a bike heart rate test a run heart rate test, and then what we will do a swim pace test in your in your programs. And that that will give you very accurate feedback. So and that's awesome. We do have that in um, all we have that in the um, Olympic in the half Ironman and the and, and in the Ironman programs, we don't have it in sprint. Is okay. it okay if somebody is in the sprint program and wants to give it a go? Can we give that to them? And yes. let them? Okay, so so again, if someone here is in sprint and is listening, Barbara, if you're doing a sprint, um, let us know and we can get, definitely get that to you and tell you a good time to, to put it into your training. So, um, great. Um, okay, so here's another bike thing. This is great. Um, I think Erica is looking to take on um, uh, her first 70.3 this fall, but she's moving to Germany. And by the time I get there, most of the triathlons are in warmer climates, which is a good thing. But she's trying to figure out the logistics of bike transport across Europe since I don't really trust my own mechanical skills to assemble and reassemble my bike without incident. Um, the likelihood of, of being in a race, of the race being in a place where I am proficient in the local language is low. So um, a couple of questions, and, and um, if you don't know the answer, that's okay, Jen, but um, in your experience, is shipping the bike or carrying the bike on the plane easier? Um, she's probably gonna have to buy a bike box anyway to get her bike to Germany when we move, so I'll already have one of those in her possession. My answer to that is easy. I deal with a ton of international people. So you, you, you always fly with your bike. Okay. You ship, it, ship it home. Okay. 
So, so fly with your bike. That's great. Um, because then you're you... in control of it. So fly with your bike and ship it home. Cause after the race, you'll be done with your bike. You won't care. So ship it yeah. home. Or, or just go home to, you know, Munich, Germany or wherever you live now. Right, right. Um, um, so about how do you usually go about finding someone to do this for you? Do, do races provide lists of local shops? Yeah, usually races provide local shops. I tell athletes to go to their like local bike shop and learn how to take it apart themselves. Um, because what's going to happen is you're going to be in a country where you don't speak the language. And most of these guys or girls that put these bikes together, will there's a universal language of putting a bike together. So you'll be okay there. But yeah, you need to reach out to the race director. You need to ask them where they recommend uh, you contacting one of the bike stores, contact the bike store and ask them if you could either drop the bike off when you land in that country or ship it there if you're that you would prefer to do that. Ship it there, obviously, with insurance always, um, because I've got lots of good stories for you if you've got time. <laughs> um, so sh- insure it and ship it or fly with it. Set up an appointment and have your bike set up there. Pay them the fee, tip them. And then usually they'll take it apart and even ship it for you. That's how people do it here in the United States. That's how we do it with all of our camps. Everybody ships the bikes out. They put them together for a fee, take them down and ship them home. So absolutely can be done. Um, But I would also make sure that you take some time if you're going to be in another country to learn just the basics of, if you don't already know, the basics of your bike, you know, what needs to be done? How do you get the, you know, just, just trust me, you, you would be, you'll be grateful if anything happens because you'll be in a race and something will happen to your bike and you can't speak German. You, you know, you need to either learn German quickly or your bike and the <laughs> bike is probably it. easier. Yeah. Easier between the two. Yeah. Let me just let, let me put a little, a little side note here back uh, way back in the day. Um, I was a, uh, doing a story for bicycling magazine on how to change a flat. And that was like my biggest, I mean, I, you know, I talk a good game, but I was <laughs> petrified of a flat, petrified. And so I was always, you know, like with, you know, my husband, Grant, I was be like, okay, keep your phone on you and um, do this and do that. And, you know, and I would just, I, and then I, and then I would flat and I would have to call him. And um, finally the story was, is that I went to a bike shop and I said, listen, I, you know, I feel really dumb, but I don't know how to do this. Can you just really talk me through this? And some bikes have clinics too, um, but they want to help you. I know sometimes the bike shop has an intimidating sheen over it because, you know, you get the guys with their little, what are those things called now? The the man, the man, man buns, man buns <laughs> yeah, the man buns and the, you know, and they're, they're young and they, you know, talk, you know, the bike language. But if you can just go either call or go in and say, listen, I'm doing my triathlon. I'm moving to Germany. I really need to know how to get my bike in my bike box and how to reassemble it so that I can, you know, make sure that everything is okay. And, you know, they'll probably either, you know, they will take you under their wing. It might obviously cost some money, but I think it is well worth the price of admission and then doing it. And then what I did after I, you know, went to, I can't remember his name, but he was very gracious and very nice. And I came home and I sat in front of Entourage. That's Entourage was really hot then. I sat in front of episodes of Entourage and changed my wheel, changed my back wheel, which is the harder one, changed my front wheel like a couple times so that I was like fluent in how to do that. And I mean, and I still freak out. I mean, I still don't like it, but now I know I can do it, right? It might take me, you know, 20 minutes longer than it takes the average person, but I can do it. And there's just something that's really liberating about that. So I really um, recommend um, Erica, that you that you don't go to Germany without having at least what you said, Jen, just a basic knowledge of and language that your bike speaks. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, and then if you do her other questions, I mean, you know, like, and, and this is good for anybody. I mean, 
how far in advance do you have to think about shipping your bike if you do need to get it there and get it booking and assembly and that kind of thing? Um, I mean, is that something you should be thinking about a month before your race, two months, two weeks? Like, what do you recommend for your athletes? Yeah, so, and there's a company I forgot to mention too that's called Tri-Bike Transport. Maybe some yep. of you guys have heard about it, but it's a company that all they do is transport tri-bikes. But they, on, however, they only do big races. So if you're doing some weird race in obscure place, they don't do that. But try bike transport. Google it. See if they're doing your race. And then they'll have a partnership with one of your local bike shops if you live in a metropolitan area. And you can drop off your bike and it's all taken care of. It's, it's, and they'll fix it when they get there. They'll make sure it's perfect. It's an awesome service and worth every penny. So look at try bike transport for sure. Um, but now that I said that, Dimity, I forget, what was your question? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going, going ahead. Like how, how far in advance oh, did you have to think about that yeah. for a longer race? You know, you should probably two months out, figure out what you're going to do. So okay. two months out, figure out if you're going to ship it or you're going to fly with it. And then if you're going to ship it, go through the process of the process. Because they, if you're, if, let's say you're going to ship it to Germany. You probably need to ship it three weeks in advance. Yeah. So, you also need to, sorry, I didn't interrupt you. But, no, but you didn't you know, interrupt me. That, that's three weeks without your bike, too. That's the other thing that you have to, that to keep in mind, right? Because then, yeah. you know, either you have to have a plan B where you've got a spinning bike at the gym because we, you know, the workouts are going to taper down, obviously, but we still need you to keep your legs spinning. So, um, so yeah, so there's a lot to, to keep in mind when you're doing, you know, a longer race that's going to require your bike to be away from you for a while. Correct. Um, awesome. So that's, so Erica, that's kind of a, um, a good place for you to start as always, you know, chime in on the Facebook page, or if you get some ideas and answers, um, or options, I mean, let us know and we can help you kind of sort through them. Um, okay. So here's some bigger kind of training questions. Um, Kimberly is planning, planning to do her sprint in May. Um, she's not sure what she wants to do after that, but one option is another sprint in August and one in October. So, um, how do you kind of, do you, does she, if she wants to do the May and then if she does August and October, does she repeat the sprint plan or do some maintenance like the off season plan? Um, and then uh, what, what, what would you do with that? First of all. Um, well, yeah, obviously the normal plan to May, then what you need to do after each race is take a week, a week of flex. So mm -hmm. a week where you, you know, you recover mentally, physically, you either do nothing or you do a little bit or something like that, and then probably start the plan again. Um, I don't think you should go into maintenance mode because it's the summertime, um, yeah. and you can go into maintenance after October. So I prefer you to stay on the training plan. Now you could, if you wanted to, if you get, if you want to mix it up a little bit, you could do the Olympic training plan and just adapt it and dial that down. Um, if you have the time, if you don't have the time then stay with the sprint plan, um, and do the sprint plan. Absolutely. Um, and there is, you're asking if there's an option, um, you know, if you repeat it, there's definitely some kind of continuation option. We can work out Kimberly and anybody else where, you know, you can, um, to, to get, keep you in the Facebook group after your race is gone. And, but we know you have the plan. So we'll, we'll, um, figure out what that registration would look like. Um, Another thing that she's considering is doing a sprint in August and then doing the Twin Cities 10 miler in October. Would that be too close of two things in your mind? Um, it's early October is, is the Twin Cities 10 miler. And I don't know when this, her sprint is in August, but I mean, that's, they've got September in between. <laughs> Some, I would say probably eight weeks in between maybe. 
Yeah, not even really. So yeah. if it's the first weekend in October, and let's just let's just say for argument's sake, her sprint is in her sprint is in mid-August. So the intention for that is that you should make your long runs a little bit longer, um, starting in July sure, for that ten sure. miler. So I would I would make for your long days. I would make your runs just increase them by no more than five to seven and a half percent every week. And then make sure your step back week is a step back week. So you don't get hurt or sick. Um, but you need to be running, you know, in a perfect world, 12 miles before you start, before you race this 10 miler. And we don't have you guys running 12 miles in the sprint plan. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to piecemeal that long run so that your long run increases more than we increase you. Um, sure. And so, and Kimberly, you know, email me about other options. I mean, we can, um, cause you're wondering like how to do amazing and then somehow work in biking and swimming. Um, let's just, let's talk this through kind of, it, it really, um, it matters if you are want to do that third triathlon or if you want to do another 10 miler. So that's, um, once, and I know the twin cities 10 miler doesn't, um, let you know if you're in until I feel like it's. July. yeah it's later yeah yeah so let's 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 talk about that but we definitely know that we can help you out and get you to to um as many starting lines as possible um similar question from karen um she's doing the sprint series uh first race in june and then one in july and then one in august um do i just take a day off or two and re repeat the last three or four weeks of the plan to prepare for the next um so what you just said is take a week off but would she do a full week off if she's got three races kind of in three months no, 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 not at all. So, okay. but, but you do need a down week. Um, okay. So after, after each one of your races, you need to almost have a rest week, if that makes sense. But remember, you came into a, a taper for that sprint. You're going to race a sprint. So if you go too long on a down week, you were just going to keep losing fitness now, but you do need to recover mentally and physically from your sprint race. So that week that follows the sprint race, just make it a down week. In other words, what a down week means is that you're moving, you're active. You may not hammer out intervals on the bike or the run or the swim. You could take a week off of strength if you'd like to, but you're just going out running an easy two miles or an easy three miles or whatever easy is for you. And then pick the plan back up after that, that week, at week, that down week. The important thing is that you don't get burnt out. Yeah, then that's the biggest thing about doing three back-to-back -back races, I think, sometimes. Um, would she pick it up so it's a 12-week plan? So take a week off and just say, for, for argument's sake, there's four weeks between each race. <clears throat> Excuse me. So she takes a week off, and then does she just pick it up in week 10, 11, 12? Does she kind of taper again for her next race? Or should she, say, maybe do um, weeks 9, 10, 11? Or, or well, is that... physiologically, people cannot technically taper more than once or twice a whole year in a real, okay. in the real, if we're going to okay. really look at this from a kinesiology standpoint. So, okay. but let's look at it from a basic standpoint, from a basic standpoint, my advice to her would be to pick your, the, the number one of those three, which is the one you want to do the best at taper for that one, the okay. other one, and maybe let's do it the first one, just because it's easier to discuss. So you taper the, for the first one, and then you want to pick up, this gets a little bit complicated because you need the next week to be a little bit down, but then you need two quality weeks of training. And then you need a letdown into the race, but not necessarily a full two or three week taper, if that makes sense. Sure. So one, of, one of the things that she can do is she can do, you know, office hours with me and I can help her specifically with that. 
She can ask Great. the question on um, the Facebook, Facebook. Mondays, uh -huh. and I can uh -huh. kind of walk her, Elizabeth or I will walk her through that. But remember, if you're going to do sprint a week down, not off, two key hard weeks, and then just a little bit of a let, little bit of a letdown into race number two and three, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Yep, Karen. And that, so that's, I mean, that's why these guys are here. That's awesome. So if you want to, like Jen said, schedule office hours with her or discuss on the Facebook page or send us an email, there's lots of options to get you through those three. Um, and then you want to do a running, Karen wants to do a running race in September, or pr primarily running in September with a 10K in October, and then pick up the second half of the training program again after that for her in no November sprint. <laughs> wow, you are busy, Karen. I love it. Um, so let's just, my, um, what I would do right now, Karen, is let's get you through June, July, and August. Okay, let's get you through those three races. And then see how you feel, because you might not want to do, you might not want to be on a training plan for a little while. You might want to do something else or whatever. I think sometimes it's hard to plan that far out in advance because you just don't know. Um, what could happen, right? So um, so we'll definitely help you with those running races. And then if you do want to do another sprint in November, we can definitely get you through there. But let's uh let's let's kind of um, focus on those that that series first. Does that sound good, Jen? Yeah, I think that's smart. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, those are so those are the questions that I have from Facebook. Oh, here's a question right here. Awesome. I'm seeing it. Um, oh, that's Karen saying perfect. Sounds good, thank you, and mm -hmm. perfect. So um Great. Did anybody else have any other questions? I mean, I think you guys are doing so well. You're very chatty, which I always love. I love seeing all the wins yeah. in the week 12 victories and all that kind of stuff. Um, the swims are going well. One thing that I wanted to put out there just because um, I think it's really valuable is um, if you get yourself um, at the pool, if you get somebody, a lifeguard or somebody to just um, take a video of you swimming back and forth in the lane once, um, Jen and um, or Liz can give you just some easy pointers to work on. Um, I've, they did it a couple times last season, and I really think that it helped the people a lot. So, um, so if that's something that you know, if your swimming feels really chaotic or you're not not feeling as efficient as you want to be, um, that's a great place to go. Um, and then we'll continue to do these. I mean, I know you guys are just starting your training more or less, so there's you know you're not into the thick of it. Um, oh, actually, I'm sorry, I did forget one question because um, I was like, we'll talk about gear later. Um, but there were two questions about gear. Um, Kay is asking for, um, what do I need to look for in a wetsuit for 66 degree open water swim? Um, are there temper th temperature thresholds for when you do a tank top style um, versus a full sleeve? Do you wanna talk about that? Sure. So um, 66 degrees sounds cold as we talk about it, but in theory, it's not that bad. So I don't know where you live, but... Um, the difference between long sleeve and short sleeve is really personal preference, to be honest with you. Um, I find that the longer swimmers, what I say when I mean longer swimmers, taller swimmers tend to do really well in full sleeves. Um, if you look at, think about all the professionals in triathlon, everybody's in a full sleeve wetsuit. The more rubber, the better. However, um, you know, I work with a lot of athletes that are really tiny and short arms, short legs, and quicker turnover, and they tend to do better without less restriction. They tend to do better with less restriction on their shoulders, so they do sleeveless. I personally have never even owned a sleeveless. I only have all full rubber, but a lot of people, like if Liz was on talking, she only likes the sleeveless, and but yep. she's this, she's literally this big, okay? <laughs> and I'm 5'8", I'm yep. so it, there's a big difference between our sizes. However, 
to get back to the reality of the wetsuits, it really comes to personal preference. I will say that the, when the water is 66, it sounds cold, but it's not really that cold. So you can go either way. Once you get into the low 60s, under 64, you need full sleeves or you will be miserable. Um, and then a lot of people have both. So they wear full sleeves under 65-ish. And then above 65, they wear sleeveless. And they just like it. It's cooler. And, you know, it's just cooler. So yep. what I would do is go to your local wetsuit bike shop if you have it. And, and I may be talking to this athlete, and this athlete has probably maybe have already done this. So if I'm not answering your question, feel free to, to ask me on mine. But um, then go to your local shop and try it out. Try on the full sleeve. Try on the, the sleeveless. And you can just jump in the pool if you don't have open water and you live somewhere close. If you just jump in the pool for literally three or four or five minutes, Get it in there, check it out, get out, rinse it off. You, you're not going to do any damage to the wetsuit that quickly and uh, see what you like. Um, it just is a rotation personal thing. Um, and I do find that my full sleeve wetsuit is really hot when the water is above 65 or 66, 67. It's a weird sensation to be sweating when you're swimming. <laughs> it doesn't happen very often, right? right? Um, right. So yeah, definitely. And the other thing, again, for our, for our more beginner triathletes, um, you know, wetsuit is obviously an investment. There's a lot of places where you can rent them. You can rent them online. You can rent them yep. at a bike shop. You can rent them at a local triathlon shop. So, you know, don't, especially if you're doing your first or second triathlon, it's maybe your first time wearing a wetsuit. Don't go buy one yet. Um, just, just, right. just rent it. Uh, and because then at least you have a, um, a gauge of how, which one you like. Um, okay. Her second part is, um, She's saying, do any wetsuits have coverings for your feet? And the answer to that is no, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to get it on and off. It's already hard enough to get it on and off. Um, but she's starting, her swim start is, is described as standing in waist deep water and it's a mountain lake. So I'm expecting it to be a little muddy. I'd rather not swim in a water shoe, but squishy mud between my toes for the start might change my mind. So, well, guess what? <laughs> here comes here comes some tough love. Here comes some tough love. Yeah, here comes some tough love. In a nice way. Yes, it's tough love. Too bad. Love. Number one, too love. bad. Yeah. Number number one, too bad. Sorry, she's gonna delete me off Facebook tomorrow. Number no. one, too bad. Number two, if it's USAT sanctioned, meaning USAT sponsors and and pays the insurance and does all this sanction sanction of this race. We're not allowed to wear a lot of the stuff that people think they can wear in races. Um, there are levels of cold and temperatures that dictate what is allowed and what is not allowed. So if that race, let's just say it's 66 degrees, you are not allowed to wear hand anything on your hands, your feet. It has to be the weather. The temperature has to be a certain degrees. And on the head, you know, we've got those. Sometimes you can wear those. They're... Um, I don't know why I can't think of it. It's probably because it's February in Chicago. That's why I can't think of it. And neoprene cap kind of? And neoprene caps, yeah. Yeah. So, and it has to, usually you can wear that in any temperature. But as far as the mud on your feet, yes, no shoes, no uh, aqua shoes, none of it is allowed. Now, if you're doing a small town race and it's not USAT sanctioned, then email the, uh, regis the registered dietitian. Oh my God. <laughs> email yeah. the um, race director. Race director. The race director. Yeah. Oh, email the race director. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, honestly, you know, being in, in aqua shoes, I'm just thinking about kicking. You're not going to, I mean, I think it's going to be more, I think the, the hindrance of swimming um, efficiently versus a couple minutes of, you know, your toes under it. The other thing is you can also wait literally, you know, I mean, I know the, the start is in waist deep water, but 
they're going to have waves probably. And so you, you know, you wait till your wave is called and then you can even wait until, you know, they say a minute and you can hop in the water. You know, you can be that athlete who's a little bit obnoxious. <laughs> it's yeah, okay. We give you, sure. permission. you know, so there's, so if that feels, I mean, I, I agree with, I don't like lake swims, give me the heebie jeebies, but you get over it. Um, so you'll, you'll be fine. Um, and then a couple other gear questions. I knew that I had forgotten these. I'm sorry. Um, Okay, uh, what does one wear for a try? Um, she doesn't, she's assuming that she doesn't have a wetsuit. This is from Becky, but she wants to start to get the right gear. Um, but she's but she's assuming it's not a bathing suit, riding gear and running gear. So if she were starting out again, like just starting to um, get some basics for a triathlon gear wardrobe, where would you start? Jen? So, yeah, the best thing to do, there's a couple of options. Sometimes I have, the beginners wear a bathing suit because they're comfortable swimming in a bathing suit and then put on bike shorts when they get into transition one. And then if you want to, if you're big chested, you would wear a sports bra underneath your uh, swimsuit. If you're small chested, you don't need to wear, you can just race in the bathing suit and then put on bike shorts and off you go. When you come into transition two, you can run in the bike shorts or you can take the bike shorts off and put on running shorts and your bathing suits on the whole time. That's how a lot of beginners do it, and it makes them happy. Um, if you don't want to do that, one, the next step up is you can get a triathlon kit or a tri-kit, we call them, and that is either a one-piece or a two-piece. The two-piece is a um, has little pockets in the back, has skin-tight top, and triathlon shorts, with that, which has less padding than a bike short. Um, but the problem with that is it's a two-piece. So when you're wearing it in a lake, it will gap. You know how you, you lean down and it just kind of gaps? You'll have that problem in a lake. So it's not super aerodynamic. But many people do it. You'll be a little bit slower in the water, but you'll be very comfortable on the bike and the run. And then the third option and the most expensive option is a triathlon one-piece. Um, I could go. I could actually go grab. Dimity, I have them all. I could grab them. But... Uh, one piece is aerodynamic that you step into and think about it as it, it's triathlon shorts all the way up to a tri, you know, a tri top, but it's all one piece. So it's aerodynamic and it, it doesn't gap. There's no gapping on it. It's pretty darn skin tight. Um, yeah. So those are the three options that we, that we do. Um, and and to be yeah. clear, just uh, triathlon shorts. Um, so normal bike shorts have a pretty thick chamois, or that's the pad that you know goes um, in your crotch basically, and that's um, you know that's the one that protects you for um, from the bike seat, gives you a little bit of comfort between you and your bike seat. Um, triathlon shorts, it's just a little bit skinny. Uh, the, the 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 chamois is um, not as thick. Um, it's still, you know, it still provides a little bit of padding, but it's not, it's like the difference between like a maxi pad and like a yeah, everyday pad, pad yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and so you can wear those in the water. And um, the good news is that, you know, when you get out of the water, it hasn't retained water like a diaper. If you wear normal bike shorts in the water, um, they will be come out and you will be, you know, um, you know, be carrying a couple gallons with you as you run up to your bike. So that's, that's what a, a track launch, that's the main difference. They're also a little bit shorter and they also yeah. have um, some more pockets on them. So you can put your gels or your tube for your bike or whatever you might need in there. So that's kind of that difference. I think, you know, I mean, if I were building my wardrobe, I would say, Getting a pair of tri shorts is a great thing. And then figuring out what you want on top. I mean, yes, the gapping is an issue, but I would say, like, I think um, comfort is big and making sure that you have, you know, you feel supported in your chest if you have, you know, anything bigger than an A cup. 
um, you're going to want to have some kind of sports bra or bikini top on, not a bikini top, meaning a, you know, tie and, and go sit on a boat kind, but, um, but, you know, like a sports bra, like an athletic swimsuit kind of thing. Um, and then, exactly. and then can I throw out, let me just throw out and I, some of the, just, I think sometimes yeah. just where to start of where to shop for that. Obviously your local yeah. triathlon store, but a company, there's companies called Smash, S-M-A-S-H makes good ones. So write that down. Uh, Coor, C-O-E-U-R. Uh, so just some of the women specific triathlon gear that a lot of us love and race in. And they've got cute designs and stuff like that. They're expensive, but remember, it's an investment and something that will carry you through a couple seasons for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I still have my tri suit again, you know, uh, talk a good game. But I mean, I have, you know, stuff from a got easily 10, 10 years ago still upstairs because I only race in it, really. I mean, maybe you'll do a, right, right. a, uh, a training ride in it make, to make sure that it feels good and that you're feeling, you know, like you don't have any chafing or anything. But it's not like if you don't wear it every day. So it lasts a lot longer than, say, your capris that you wear all the time. The other thing about um, <laughs> triathlon-specific wear, and this definitely came up last year a lot on the Facebook page, is it is small. <laughs> it is built for people who are definitely um, pretty fit and um, and have a smaller frame. And so don't be discouraged when you have to order a size extra large and you're normally a medium. I mean, that, that's a little bit of a, um, an exaggeration, but um, I definitely know that people had a little bit of size shock when when they were ordering. So just know that that's, um, that is just the way that that sizing works. Um, Okay, cool. Um, and then, okay, and then she has one more question. I think this is the last one. Again, if you have, if you're listening still and you have more, chime on in. Um, but uh, she's uh, so the out the OOW, which is out of the water bike. So that means that she's going to swim and then bike. Um, she swims at her gym, and then just and then and then she wants to know what um, she should change into something more suitable for the bike. Um, you you do have time to do that, Becky. We're not expecting you to ride in in your wet swimsuit. Um, yep. and so I guess an explanation of transition and training would be helpful. So let's talk a little bit first about this, this workout, which where you come out of the swim and either head to the bike in the gym, if it's too cold or your bike outside. So what would you do, um, that changing wise, Jen? Sure. So if I was going to swim at my pool and then go to the, um, a bike in the gym, what I would do is I would go because it's a gym and it's public and you're wet and all this other stuff, go into the changing room. And but be efficient, be what I call purposeful. Get out of the pool, no chit chatting with Mary and Sally and she <laughs> about the bike, you know, like be purposeful. So get out of the pool and make a beeline to the changing room, change your clothes, put on comfortable gear, and get, get on with your workout. I think that's really what is really important with these transitions. If you're in a public place where, you know, Sally and Joey and everybody wants to talk to you. Just don't do it. Just get into your workouts and then talk to them when you're all done. Just say, hey, I need, I'm going to ride my bike for 45 minutes and then we can go get coffee or whatever you're going to do. When sure. you're outside, when you're swim, then if it's warm out, then, you know, you need to get out of your bathing suit and get into a, a, a bike kit or whatever makes you happy on the bike. So I just think being purposeful and quick is important. Five minutes, seven minutes, it's not going to kill you. 30 minutes, and then we start losing the benefit of the work, you know, the, the trans, what we call transition, transition brick. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would add to that, I think it's really important to have your stuff kind of laid out. So before you go into the swim, um, you know, whether you're going to go ride outside or ride in the gym, like have your, you know, kind of put it in order of what you put on your, you know, put your shoes at the bottom, your shorts or your capris or whatever you wear on the bike, you know, your top, your sports bra, you know, a hat or headband or whatever you're going to do to keep your wet hair back. Um, and just kind of, again, like you're talking about being purposeful because that's going to happen when you go into transition, you know, when you come in um, off the water into the bike, like you're going to have, you know, a kind of an order of things that you're going to put things on. So obviously you're not going to be changing your whole outfit, but um, it's just nice to kind of get in that, get in that headspace of, okay, how am I going to dress myself in the most efficient way? Um, and so then similar, there's some off the bike workouts um, or bricks. So that goes from biking to running. And um, so let's talk about those a little bit um, and what kind of transition you need there. Yes, I'm a little bit more strict with the transition from the bike to the run because in, in a race where we don't do anything but get off our bike and go to the run. So in, yeah. a, per in a perfect world, okay, because we don't live in a perfect world. We've got kids crying and work and all that but in a perfect world we go from the bike and you have like dimity said you have your stuff set up on a towel either inside or outside whatever you're doing and you transition just like you would in a race you get off the bike and you get right onto the run if the run is 10 15 20 minutes you just stay in your run you stay in your cycling gear you don't need to change um don't waste the time if you're inside and you have a treadmill like I'm not on a treadmill very often, even in Chicago, but I do all my brick runs on a treadmill because I'm on my compu trainer and I go for 15 or 30 or 40, whatever minutes I'm running right to the treadmill. So I'm just trying to simulate to get my legs transitioned to that quick run off, off the bike. So that is a little bit more time sensitive. I would, we would appreciate it. I think if you were just quick on that, but remember, I have to say safety first. Absolutely. And if it's pouring rain, you know, it's pouring rain or, you know, safety first, but do your best to transition and set it up and use those times to practice getting in and out of your shoes, uh, in and out of your running shoes. If you have race locks, which are elastic laces, um, you know, things to save time. Um, what's, you know, visor, a gel, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, treat it, take it seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Like the closer, you know, we're not, you know, you don't have to time yourself or anything, but, and, and of course, like you said, like life can get in the way. And I mean, I remember, you know, like times when I was on the bike and I knew that I had to get up and run and, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, Ben is in my face, like, mom, I need chocolate milk. Like, never mind that you know, my <laughs> husband is, you know, two feet away, but he, you know, he can't pour it. I had to pour it, you know, stuff like that, where, you know, it's okay just to, you know, but obviously the more efficient you can be, the better off, you know, just getting your body into that, that, um, that sensation, getting it familiar, going from as quickly as you can from the bike to the run. Um, okay, I am looking back through this and I'm pretty sure I got everything this time. Sorry, uh, I needed to put my X's on there and the questions that we did, because that, that's my system. Um, cool, well, okay, well, thank you, Jen, for your time today. And thank You're you welcome. guys for listening. Um, I will turn this into a podcast shortly, so you can listen to that um, on your next trainer ride or your next brick and um, and keep chatting on the Facebook page and, and we'll do another one of these um, next month um, with more questions. Okay, thanks a lot, you guys, and talk to you soon. Have a good day.